My name's Steve. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Rock Hills. Don't break it. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Rock Hills, and we are glad you guys are here with us this morning. It is Easter morning. It's dreary outside, but we have hope inside this building today. And I want to tell you guys a story. Some of you are familiar with the Easter story. Uh, on Friday, Jesus was crucified, taken down from the cross, put in the tomb in the grave. Uh, Sunday morning, he arises, right, as we just, we just sang. Um, he rises from the dead. He comes out of the tomb. The Easter bunny comes out with him, right? <laughs> now, that's not the right story. That's part of the story. We've turned it into that. But I want to tell you guys today about two people who are also part of the Easter story. But their hope in Easter came later in the day. It was still on Easter, but it came a little bit later in the day. And so some of you know that general outline, right? There's, there's the Sunday morning, first day of the week, Easter Sunday. The women go to the tomb. There's no body there. There's, there's an angel uh, there instead, this angelic visitation. And then they run and they tell the disciples, and the rest is history. And that's what we're celebrating today. But this lesser-known story is also in the Bible. And it's still part of the Easter story. It happens on the same day. It's in the book of Luke. It doesn't come at the beginning of the day. It comes in the evening because sometimes hope comes early to you, but sometimes hope comes kind of late, doesn't it? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Why, why it came late for this couple may have something to say about your story. It may have something to say about my story and your hope and the role that God plays in your story. So this is the story of two people for whom Easter came kind of late. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 24. If you brought your Bible, you can open up to Luke 24. We're going to camp out there most of the day. If you didn't have a Bible, don't have a Bible. We have them at our welcome kiosk. You can grab one free on the way out. We're going to throw the verses up on the screen for you as well, so it's easy for you to follow along today. So here's what Luke, the author of that book, is telling us happened that day. So Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now that same day, so Easter Sunday night, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So this is a real interesting story that we're going to be looking at. These are two members of that little community of people that have been following Jesus around for the last three and a half years. We're going to find out in a moment that one of them is named Cleopas or, or Clopas. Okay? And in another part of the Bible, in the book of John, we read that one of the women who was at the cross when Jesus was crucified was named Mary, the wife of Clopas. Okay? So she was present when Jesus was crucified. We don't know for sure, but most likely, we don't know for sure, but most likely this couple, these two people on the road to Emmaus, were probably that husband and wife. Okay? Cleopas and Mary. And they're trying to come to grips with what has happened today, because their world has just been turned upside down. And actually, one of the words that Luke uses here as he's describing them is that they're disputing with one another. So there's, there may be some tension there between this couple. Sounds like a husband and wife to me, right? Okay? And so because from John, it says Mary, the wife, was present when Jesus died, but there's no record of Cleopas being there. There could be some tension going on. She's trying to explain to him what's going on. Why did our Jesus die? How come he didn't reign over the Romans like he thought we thought he was going to? And while they're doing that, this stranger comes up. Luke tells us who he is, but it says this interesting phrase. They were kept from recognizing him. Okay? So we know who he is all along. But they don't. They're in the dark. And for some time, they don't know uh, who he is. And we don't know for how long, but they just, they just walk 
together. And Jesus walks with them. And maybe they're so engrossed in their conversation, they don't even notice he's there. But eventually he asks this question. What are you discussing together as you walk along? And this question stuns them, and it just stops them in their tracks. And then in verse 17, it says, They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now, now where would you put, where would you rate those questions on the politeness scale, right? I mean, Cleopas is basically looking at him and saying, have you been living under a rock, right? Do you not pay any attention to what's been going on in Jerusalem? At this point, this stranger, Jesus, could have gotten off quite a zinger here, right? He could have said, yes, well, actually, I have heard of Jesus, Yes, I actually was there at the cross. Actually, I was there at the tomb. And just to mention it, I have been living under a rock for three days, right? I mean, he could have really thrown some zingers out there at this point, right? But he doesn't say that. Instead, I mean, he's very polite. He's Jesus, right? So he says, what things? He says, what what are you talking about? Why don't you tell me about these things that you're talking about? And so they tell him, verse 19, about Jesus of Nazareth, they say, he was a prophet, he was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over, though, to be sentenced to death, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So they're telling him their story. See, everybody has a story. You have a story. I have a story. And at the heart of their story are these very poignant words, we'd been hoping. They bet everything on Jesus. And the reality is, is if you live long enough, you're going to say those words in your story at some point in time. We've been hoping to raise a great family, wonderful children, have a long life, and then the doctor said. We've been hoping, had this dream, going to do wonderful things, and then I lost my job and now I feel like a failure. I've been hoping, and now this habit has just gripped me, and I can't seem to shake loose of it. I'd been hoping, but then he told me he doesn't love me. We'd been hoping, but then our kid ran down this road that we never thought he would ever go on in life. This couple says, we'd been hoping that he was the one to redeem, to restore, to bring Israel back to their glory. He was going to make our story come out okay, but our story's gone all wrong, is what they're telling Jesus. So you need to know this about their story because it relates to your story and it relates to my story. They had a story. They had a story that they were part of a people, a special people, Israel, and they had a dream as a nation. They had a calling. Their life wasn't just about themselves. Okay, They were going to be the servants. They were going to be the the representatives of God and good and hope to this world. But their story had gone all wrong. Things had gone bad in Israel, and it was just suffering. Way back at the very beginning, they were in exile in Egypt. They were in slavery. And then after that, it was just one thing after another. The Syrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, they had been in captivity since. And they thought their story was going to be Jesus was going to redeem them and restore them and make them a glorious nation again. And they thought he was the prophet and he was powerful in word and deed. And he said things nobody had ever said. And he did things nobody had ever done. And they were just dreaming about the goodness of his human heart and what was going to happen. And he was going to overthrow the enemy. And they were going to be prosperous again. And they were going to be a great nation again. And they had all these hopes and all these things seemed to be going so well. And then suddenly everything went so wrong. That's their story. 
My guess is there's stories in this room today that relate to that. Jesus ends up on a cross in their story. And now you have to understand to know why they were so dejected. Because if you look at this from the other side, you have to put yourself in their place. Okay, no one expected this to happen at all. It's not just that he died. He died on a cross. That meant by definition that he wasn't the Messiah. Every time somebody would come and rise to the top in the nation of Israel and try and lead them in revolution against the Romans and say, I'm the guy, you got to come follow me, the Romans would take him and crucify him publicly in front of everybody and say, yeah, he's not your guy. In fact, if you want to follow him, we got more crosses. And so that's exactly what the Romans ended up doing with Jesus as well. And so they don't know what to do with this. And they're walking down the road, and they're arguing, and they're confused. And they go on to say, even on this day, there's been weird stuff going on. The women went to the tomb. There's no body there. There was an angel or something instead, and everything's going crazy, and we're just trying to walk home. And then the stranger says this to them, Luke 24, verse 25. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe. Now, why does Jesus say that, right? When that's not real polite on his part, right? They're pouring out their hearts to him, and he basically says, you guys are a couple of dim bulbs, right? I mean, literally, that's that's what he says. He's like, you're fools. What's going on here? Well, he's not insulting them. And I want to interrupt this a moment to explain what's going on. Everybody here has had this experience, I think. The experience of you think you know what your story is, you think you understand the story that you're in, and then you find out in one moment, in one moment of blinding, blazing clarity that you didn't understand your story at all, right? I love this. It's a story about another couple. It's a husband and a wife, been married 60 years Shared everything, no secrets from each other at all, except this one little thing. The little old woman kept a shoebox up in the top shelf of their closet, never told her husband about it, asked him to never open it. For all those years, he never even thought about it. It wasn't a big deal. He trusted her completely. She's getting to the end of her life, though. She sees the doctor. He says she's probably not going to recover from this one, and so they need to start sorting things out. She asks him to bring the box by the bedside, and so... He brings the box by the bed, and she agrees, it's time. It's time. You need, to, you need to know what's in that box. And so he opens the box. He finds two little crocheted dolls in $95,000. And so he asks her about the contents of the box. And she says, well, when we were to be married, she said, my grandmother sat me down, and she told me that the secret of a happy marriage was never to argue. And so she told me, if I ever got angry with you, I should just keep quiet and crochet a little doll. And the little old man was so moved, he had to fight back the tears, and he's thinking, 60 years, and only twice, he's holding these dolls. He says, only twice has there been interruptions in our 60 years of love and marriage, and he's growing more and more in love with this woman at every, in every moment as he's looking at those dolls, and he says, honey, he says, that moves me so deeply. He says, honey, that explains the dolls, but what about the money? Where in the world did that come from? And she said, oh, dear, oh, dear, every time I crocheted a doll, I sold it for $5 at the craft fair. (laughs) I love that story because it's our story, isn't it? It's the human condition. You think you know your story, but you don't know your story. 
And one day you're going to find out what your story really is when God jumps into the middle of it. But you don't always know what it is now. And then you wake up and you're in another story. And I'm walking down a road that I never thought I would be walking on. And that's the human condition. And what happens when you find out that you've been, you know, getting your own story wrong is you're stunned just like these people are. Because you see, the life you lead will flow out of the story you believe you're in. The life you will lead will flow out of the story you believe you're in. Everybody has a story. Every story is looking for an ending. And I wonder this morning, what's your story? See, they had a story. And the stranger's listening to their story. But then he says, no, you don't get it. He says, you don't get the end of the story yet. And he says, it's killing you because you don't know yet. And so let me tell you. And this is what he says there. Uh, It's verse 25. He says, there's one who can explain the story. He says, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken did not the Christ, that's actually his title, not his name, okay? The Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the Christ, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there in that conversation as Jesus explains to them the history of their nation and their people and how they got from creation and Adam and Eve to where they were at in that moment on the road there together? And and, and there's a picture in there, and nobody sees it because it comes from the heart of God. And God thinks differently than people do. So I want to tell you real quickly the story that Jesus told them. And and it's the story that the Bible tells us, and it's a story that's as old as the suffering of our world. It's as old as sin. It's as painful death. It's the story, literally, of suffering. And not just suffering, but joy also, but joy often that comes in suffering. Joy that lives in the middle of suffering. And at the heart of this story, the primary character in this joyful suffering story is God upon whom falls the weight of a wounded world. Because see, the world has gone all wrong. We all know that. We have different names for it. The Bible says at the core it's the problem of sin. That's why the world's gone wrong. And so God chooses one people, right? And he calls this people his nation Israel. And he says, I want to have this small group of people. I want to use them to display real love, real care, real joy, real hope, real life to the world. Okay, I want them to come to know who I am through these people. Okay, and he would have prophets that would come out and talk about peace and tell them what the world would look like if there wasn't sin anymore. If, the, if sin didn't have the world by the throat, if there was no justice or injustice or greed or lust or oppression, the way that things God created them to be. And he has Israel, this little vehicle, to bring that to the world. Okay? And because people are all kind of wired up this way, we figured that, that that meant that God would be vindicated, Right? When God's people would be greater than any other nation on earth and they would have more wealth and they'd have more power and they'd have more chariots and they'd have all of that stuff. Because back actually in that ancient day, your God was equated with your nation. And so if you were a great nation, the God you worshipped was considered a great God. But as soon as your nation fell, oh, well, your God's a joke now. Okay, that's the way people thought back then. And so in order for your God to be great, you had to have a great army, you had to have wealth, you had to have power, secure borders, vast empires, Not much different than the story we live in today, is it? And when you have it all, when you make it to the top, when you succeed, that will vindicate your story and your God. Okay, And so from the beginning, they start in Egypt in slavery. And then it looks like they're going to get free, but then it's one nation after another. They stay in slavery after slavery after slavery after slavery. 
But something's going on. And generation after generation, there's this small group of people that say we need to stay faithful to God through this. He's going to redeem us. He's going to restore. He's going to set the world right again. But then sin messes everything up, and that group is cut in half, and it's even smaller, and it's even smaller. And the story gets narrower and narrower and smaller and smaller until it comes down to just a little part of Israel, and then it gets smaller and smaller, and it comes down to this little remnant until it finally comes down to just one man, and it's Jesus. Okay, and then the stranger says, now think about this one guy. What if the depth of his suffering, what if everything you've been going through in the last few days actually confirms his identity instead of disproving it like the Romans think? What if the crucifixion is not Rome's defeat of Jesus like the world thinks, but instead it's God's defeat of evil and sin and guilt and death? And so in verse 27, it says this. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning who himself. Did not the Christ have to suffer? And so Jesus says, what if all of history, the whole story, was squeezed down to this one man, his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection? Inside, can you imagine that they're going crazy while he's telling them this, right? It's finally all clicking. They're finally understanding it all. They keep walking until they get to the end of the road, and they say, please come in our home with us. Sit down with us. Talk with us. Okay, would you eat with us? And then it happens, it says, while he's breaking bread. And maybe they remember Jesus breaking bread with them so many times. Maybe they finally noticed the nail scars in his hands. We don't know, but it says it happened in the brokenness, right, of him breaking bread. It says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. I would have liked to have been there for that moment, right? When all of a sudden they're like, bam, and they get this. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Eyes opened, then they saw. They saw the whole story of this suffering, but not just the suffering. They see that Jesus and God are in it. And it's also Jesus and God triumph and God's triumph over sin and triumph over our guilt and triumph over our shame and our failure and our confusion and our regret and our problems and our death. So that for you, for me, walking down the road, whatever darkness you are facing, whatever regret there is in your life right now, defeat does not get the last word. Is that good news or what? Right? There's hope in that. And so sin, death, does not get the last word because this same Jesus that was crucified by the Romans did not stay crucified. That's what today is all about. We make the symbol of our faith the cross. The cross would be meaningless if there wasn't an empty tomb three days later. You know how many Jews were crucified by the Romans every year? A bunch. None of them ever rose from the dead. Without the resurrection, the crucifixion means nothing. And so this happens Okay, they see this in this moment. It happens, and Luke is telling the story here, and it's a story that'll change your story if you let it. At the beginning of the story, there's this couple in the Bible. Maybe you've heard of them. Their name's Adam and Eve. Somehow, their story gets folded into the whole story of sin. One day, they defy God. They decide to live apart from him, apart from God. They reject him. They just want to go their own way. There's this real interesting phrase back in Genesis, okay, the start of the Bible. It says, when they ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat from, their eyes were, does anybody remember? Open. Okay, their eyes were open. Now, that was a horrible opening. At that point in time, their eyes were opened, and there was kind of a blindness. Their eyes were open to the possibility of sin 
and darkness and greed and deceit and hatred and oppression and injustice and apathy and hoarding and guilt and shame and wealth and, and, all, and death and all of that kind of stuff. And so they could now see that. And they went into exile and they had to leave the garden. They had to live life away from God. That's our story. That's what we're born into. That's the story we're each born into. Generation after generation, century after century, it's the human condition until one day when a stranger came and lived among us and another couple received other food that came from his broken hands, the crucified son of God in exactly the same phrase gets used. Then their eyes were open. That's not just coincidence. The eyes of humanity are being reopened, and now they could see the suffering love of God. They could see Jesus. They could see his Savior, and they got excited. And Luke says they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Okay, Luke 24, verse 33. Now, we were told earlier that's seven miles away, right? So they've gone through a crucifixion. They were up all night the night before. They just walked from Jerusalem to their home seven miles, right? Now they get up, and they go back. Yeah, this is like a 14-mile marathon. Well, that's not, 14 miles isn't a marathon, right? But it's a 14-mile jog in one day, right? And they couldn't help themselves. They have this story, and they have to tell their story. And so they do. And we're going to leave them on their road back to Jerusalem to tell their story because I want to ask you about your story. And I want to ask, I want to ask you how you think your story is going because I don't know your story right now. I know, though, that if you live long enough, you'll be disappointed. I know that if you live long enough, you're going to suffer in ways that you never saw were coming. I know that if you live long enough, you're going to have some confusion, and you're going to have some wonder. And you're going to think, where is God, and whose story is this? And I've been hoping, but I've been hurt. Or I got so anxious, but now I feel alone. Or I failed so badly. Or I just gave in. You know, everybody has to choose what story they're going to live by. And our world will give you a story, right? If you want to let them give you a story, they'll give you a story. A lot of people in the world, you just listen to them and they'll tell you, go with the success story, right? Just be successful. That's what it's all about. You know, people have always thought it's about money, power, health, wealth, prestige, and status, right? The problem with that, though, is if you live long enough, eventually you will die and they'll bury your very attractive, successful, wealthy corpse in the ground, right? That's going to be the end of your story. What are you going to do then? What about all the suffering in the world? You know, there has to be something more than a success story, right? Because that's not everybody's story. A lot of people in our day will tell you, well, there is no big story. There is no real meaning to life. You know, anybody who tries to tell you that's just blowing smoke. They're just trying to get power over you. It all means nothing. You're just here by accident. You're around a little bit, and, you know, and then you're gone, and that's it. The problem with that is how do you have any hope in life, right? How do you have any purpose? How do you have any direction? What, what, what do you do with that? And then, and then for 2,000 years, there's been this other story about Jesus taking the unlikeliest little stories and weaving them together into his own. I want to tell you the story of a friend of mine. His name is Jim, and he's a friend of mine from the gym, okay, where I teach, like, I know, Jim from the gym. Just, Jim was confused, though, about the whole God thing. He grew up, one of his parents was a practicing Jew, and the other one was a practicing Catholic. And so when he was a little boy, the weekend would come, and he'd have to go to synagogue on Saturday with one parent. And then when he would get home, the other parent would make him say the rosary to ask for forgiveness for going to synagogue. <laughs> so, so as you can imagine, Jim wanted nothing to do with God. 
because his home was kind of a mess. And so he started drinking when he was really young, and he told me by the time he was 16 years old, he could drink anybody under the table. Adult, kid, didn't matter. He was married by the time he was 21. He's 43 now, and uh, when I met Jim, he's on his fifth wife. Uh, he said he finally got so desperate about 15 years ago that he joined uh, AA. But as many, as many of you know, uh, when you join AA, you're supposed to turn your life over to a higher power, right? He didn't want to turn his life over to God, and so he sat in the meetings and he said, I know we're supposed to turn our life over to a higher power, but I also have read in the book that it says you can define that higher power however you want to. He said, so I'm going to turn my life over to a higher power, and I'm going to name that higher power Ralph. And he did it out of sarcasm. He did it out of spite and everything else. But he said, I'm going to turn my life over to Ralph. Wasn't working real good. Things were going bad. He lost another marriage after that. Um, One night at a meeting, though, he tells me a guy comes in, and this dude is in bad shape. He stinks horribly, um, looks terrible, still drinking, drunk when he walks in. Jim said he got up and he said, hi. As they introduced themselves at AA meetings, he said, hi, I'm an alcoholic. My name is Ralph. And he said, in that moment, he said, that's not my God. He said, I don't know who it is, he said, but that's not my God. And his story took a turn. And he's been on this journey since then of trying to discover who God is and how he could love somebody like him. And he's not good enough and there's too much shame and he's done X, Y, Z. And I've been trying to walk him through that story and help him realize God loves you in spite of all that junk, all that stuff. And he wants to be in your story, and he wants to be part of your story, and he wants to author it right alongside of you. Because God says, and Jesus came along one day and walked alongside this couple, and he said, I'll give you a different story if you want one, and it's going to have a much better ending. And their eyes were opened. And so for 2,000 years now, he's been doing this same thing, and I need to tell you, he'll do it for you. I don't know what your story is. I do know that if you live long enough and you try and write your own story, you're going to get to a place where it's not going to go the way you want it to go. Let me tell you another story. You are not here by accident. You are made and loved by God who cares about you more than you could ever imagine, who cares about you so much that he went to the cross and he died willingly. And the truth is our story gets messed up and it gets jacked up because the world is messed up around us and mostly because of this basic problem of sin and turning away from God and rejecting him. And we get it all wrong and we try and fix it ourselves. And so one day this stranger came and lived and walked among us and he said things that nobody had ever said and he did things that nobody had ever done and he loved people the way nobody had ever loved people and he went to a cross and he died the death for the sin of the world. And like that, like the end of his story isn't even there. It takes a turn that nobody thought was going to happen, and he comes back from the grave. And his resurrection represents hope and life. And life for us, eternal life. In the midst of the darkness, in the junk of this world. You know, and there's rumors and there's stories and there's whispers that you hear sometimes. You feel this stranger come alongside of you in life, and you hear him say, let me tell you another story. Your story can be part of that story, of his story, this Easter, if you open your heart. Would you pray with me? Earth, wind, shout, cry out.